Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this to the start of this spiritually significant time of the year. The three full moon festivals in the signs of Aries, Taurus, and Gemini are times when the forces of restoration, illumination, and reconstruction pour into the world. And these are times when there is an ever-expanding worldwide group of meditators joining in this service. So we can have confidence that the energies needed to counteract the distressing world conditions are being transmitted into human consciousness and will eventually prove victorious. Easter is increasingly a time for the celebration of the risen Christ the world teacher who directs the spiritual hierarchy. And as predicted in ancient scripture, the eyes and thoughts of men will be fixed on life. Concepts of death and sacrifice will in the new age be superseded by the concepts of resurrection or of livingness, of spiritual unity and of service so that a new note will enter into human life, bringing hope and joy and power and freedom. So along with the recognition of the spiritual hierarchy will come the recognition that this kingdom is open to one and all through the resurrection of the life within the heart. So these festivals are therefore present living events enabling us to creatively shape our future and to breathe life and vitality into a troubled world, helped by those who have already attained enlightenment and who stand by to augment our efforts. The Easter full moon occurs in the constellation of Aries, which transmits the power of sorry, the energy of power and will. And the will we know as associated with the life breath, the magnetic energetic force which animates life in form, gives rise to consciousness and propels it along the evolutionary path. Aries is therefore a sign of impulses, either the impulse to incarnate or the impulse to return to the originating source. And in this sense, it symbolizes both beginnings and endings. Aries is also described as being closely in touch with one of the stars of the Great Bear, the Pointer. And in this world cycle, it is a major star of direction because through it flows the will to unify and the will to bring about synthesis. And this force stimulates the integration of the personality and its at with the soul. And on a world scale, the unification of humanity and its receptivity to the spiritual hierarchy. So the seventh ray of ceremonial order also qualifies Aries. And together with the influence of the pointer and the first ray of will, connects Shambhala, 
the highest planetary centre and humanity. So this provides annual impulses for major changes on Earth. The outer symbol is seen in the advent of spring in the Northern Hemisphere, when nature dons its new garment and birdsong fills the air. The inner influences bring descending and restorative forces which filter down into human consciousness, releasing the seeds of hope and new inspiration. And this restoration is facilitated by certain divine agents. These who are and will be responsible for the task of preparation, of fertilization, and of all the coming New Age enterprises. And one of these divine agents is an avatar who approaches closer to Earth each year and whose note is heard ahead of him and whose energy spreads before him. And this beautiful description touches the imagination with spiritual anticipation of future potentials that will unfold. And in meditation we can draw upon the creative imagination to hear the note and touch the energy of these divine agents, linking this to the keynote for Aries. I come forth and from the plane of mind I rule. And so the opportunity of these full moon meditations creates a direct line of ascent and descent with the higher planetary centers, a lifeline that connects us to ideas which steadily move us towards greater synthesis. And it leads us to the overshadowing presence which works through us as God imminent, relating the individual part to the greater whole. So let's take a few moments to reflect on God imminent, the joy of presence and resurrection. And then we'll say together the noontime recollection, the little yellow card on your seats. I know, O Lord of life and love, 
about the need. Touch my heart anew with love, that I too may love and give. already mentioned, both the first ray of will and the seventh ray of ceremonial order qualify this constellation of Aries, and together they lead to the purposeful and orderly implement implementation of new ideas coming forth from the divine mind. And the means of doing this is through the agency of sound. The astrologer and philosopher Dane Roger noted that will and sound are vehicles for concretizing or exteriorizing needs, emotions, ideas, and subjective states of consciousness or states of being in general. Will and sound are carrier waves, bringing what is potential into a condition of actualization and effectual manifestation. Whatever will and sound carry gives them a specific character, which involves both an implicit purpose and a latent meaning. And this character imbues sounds with a quality of tone. Similarly, the activity of the will carries to the physical me mechanisms of the body what we call a decision to move in a particular direction, toward or away from a particular goal. And he goes on to explain how tone carries intent, saying, as sound and will are neutral, they can be used for destructive or constructive purposes. Sound may kill as well as heal, we think of some of the Japanese martial arts which train one to produce a deep, very intense shot that's intended to kill one's opponent. This sound is a vocal tone. It is a tone and not merely a sound because it carries a definite intent or purpose. It projects and communicates at the physical, biological level the conscious will to kill. It is this vocal tone which is endowed with a magical power. And the Alice Bailey writings refer to the word tau, T-A-U, which in Atlantean times was spoken explosively and forcefully to energize thought forms, usually resulting in them being over-energized 
and acting like a boomerang, returning to the one who sent them forth. The word tar represented desire in form, desire for form, which produces the use of form and causes cyclic and constant rebirth in form. It was the constant use of the tar which brought about the final overwhelming with water, which swept away the ancient Atlantean civilization. The few who used the AUM, A-U-M, in those days were not potent enough to offset the force of desire. The mind bodies of the race could not respond to that creative sound. Humanity was still swept entirely by longing and desire to such an extent that the united desire for possessions and the enjoyment of form drove men esoterically into the waters. So desire for form still forces upon humanity the constant process of rebirth until such time as the Tao influence is exhausted and the Aum sound can dominate. The former influence, we are told, is weakening and the Aum is increasingly in potency until it will eventually become the dominating factor. To this latter sound, the word of the soul must eventually succeed until Aum, A-U-M, in its turn, is entirely superseded. So the tone of words and speech today, whether through social media, political rhetoric or public media, carries a force which is often harmful and critical. And there seems to be a sort of a lack of understanding about the power of sound and its inspirational and healing potential if used consciously. If thoughts are truly harmless, then right speech follows. But before this perfect attainment, a watchfulness of one's tone and choice of words creates a more conducive environment for right relationships on every level. And on the spiritual path, there's a growing need to live in tension, to be consciously and lovingly receptive to the, to the need around us in order to serve through the right use of sound and speech. And it's this evolving inclusive consciousness that the Tibetan looked for in his experimental group. He said to them, only that attracts my attention, which brings more spiritual power to my group of disciples, or which increases its light or dims its radiance. You need to remember that I look at my groups of disciples always subjectively and as a group. It is the total radiance that I see. It is the united rhythm which I note, which I note and the united tone and colour. It is the sound they collectively emit which I hear. And such is the tragedy of man's inhumanity 
to man and to other beings in the lower kingdoms that the still, small voice of the soul, with its joyful note, is often drowned out by the sounds of humanity's lower nature. This cacophony can be hard to endure. It's almost like the death of beauty, particularly with the spoken word. Profanities and expletives have always been present in language, in drama, in adult education and entertainment. They are often used to portray gritty realism or to add emotional colour to performances. In reality, they add the ugly, often explosive forces of negativity to words associated with animal bodies, their functions and desires. And as such, we could say they're related to the Tao of Atlantean times. With such negativity present in everyday speech and the growing noise on the planet, it comes as no real surprise that so much hearing loss is occurring. The World Health Organization, WHO, has recently called for government interventions to reduce hearing loss and its adverse impacts. <clears throat> Figures released on World Hearing Day recently cite that 466 million people worldwide currently suffer from hearing loss, 34 million of whom are children. And this figure is up from 360 million five years ago. And the main reasons for this increase is not only a growing ageing population and infections, but also exposure to loud sounds in workplaces, public entertainments, and through personal audio devices. I think I could add announcements on the tube stations to that. It's predicted that nearly one in 10 people could have disabling hearing loss by 2050. It's an interesting fact that in ancient India, sound was believed to exist in two forms. One which is physically perceptible sound vibrations called ahata. The second, anahata, is an inaudible spiritual kind of sound to which in special conditions the non-physical aspects of the human consciousness could resonate. Anahata sound should be understood as the power of the divine will, which sets in motion the pro-matter of chaos or genesis dark waters of space and makes matter spin in vortices of motion. And the world is going through its phase of profound change, a time of the unexpected, and for rising up to encounter the new, necessary conditions for new forms to usher in a new era. Negative reactions to this chaos are blocking the renewal of the life of humanity. Fear, the disorder of war and conflict, national selfishness, are all imposing misery on people worldwide. A general lack of life and joy, evidenced by many today, is clearly having a devitalizing effect. We are called upon to release ourselves from the attractive power of Maya 
or substance by the sweeping potency of inspiration. And this Maya we are talking about is simply substance, wrongly energized by the corrupting influences of illusion and glamour, which diverted from its purpose of providing forms for incarnating lives to experience, to evolve, and to express the divinity within. Through physical disciplines and spiritual practices, the lower pairs of opposites, the physical and etheric bodies, are differentiated, and the etheric body becomes controlled by the inner self, rather than being blown around by the mess of forces in which much of humanity habitually lives. For most illusion and deception are caused by our minds as the soul becomes identified with this lower substance. The problem is that without the soul's influence, the lower mental, emotional and etheric forces sweep so many people into action unconsciously. And this is all that's known and expected. It's an evolutionary phase, but it's a persistent one, as it's ingrained in the very experience of civilization and daily re reality with its material, tangible impacts. And those of us who should be free of its influence still strive for detachment. Of necessity in these times, we find ourselves in an increasingly noisy environment. There are, for, you know, for one thing, there are fewer places of retreat that are both quiet and safe. But also because we have responsibilities to those around us, family, friends and society of which we are a part. And while noise is assaulting sensitive eardrums around the world, we should be particularly concerned with psychic noise, that pollutant of the astral and mental spheres, which brings so much stress to modern living, and to which audible noise is but a symbol. Until such time as consciousness can rise into new vistas of awareness, this struggle for inner silence, often mirrored by a parallel struggle to tune out artisans until we learn how to live with these as well. Only a complete and intense interest in the higher nature will carry us through until our whole being is utterly absorbed, attuned and listening. Silence, therefore, in this sense, is a great attainment. There's a beautiful mantram which is given to us to reflect upon, which some of you will know, called the Listening Pilgrim. And it goes, Listen, O Pilgrim, to the chanting of the word by the great Deva Lords. Hush all earth vibrations, still the restless strivings of lower mind, and with ear intent hark to the sounds that rise to the throne of the Logos. Only the pure in heart can hear, the gentle can respond. The stormy sounds of all earth struggle, the shrill vibration of the watery sphere, 
the crashing note marking the place of thought, dims the sound and shouts out the tone. He who is silent, quiet and calm within, who sees all by means of light divine, and is not led by light reflected within the threefold lower spheres, is he who will shortly hear. From out the environing ether will strike a note upon his ear, unlike the tones that sound within the world terrestrial. Listen, O pilgrim, for when that sound strikes in colourful vibration upon the inner sense, know that a point has been achieved, marking a great transition. Watch then, O pilgrim, for the coming of that hour. With purified endeavour, mount nearer to that sound. Know when its tone steals through the misty dawn, or in the mellow sunlight strikes soft upon the ear, that soon the inner hearing will become expanded feeling and will give rise to sight and perfect comprehension. Know when the music of the spheres comes to you note by note, in misty dawn or sunny noon, at cool of eve, or surrounding through the deep at night, that in the rhythmic tone lies secret revelation. And from this it's clear that silence isn't a passive state, but more of a quiescent focused waiting. It's a glimpse, an interlude between activities and sound. Its nature is ephemeral, but filled with expectation. And in availing ourselves of its presence, we learn its value and join a spiritual chorus attuned to divinity, while simultaneously listening to the cry of a needy humanity demanding to be heard and of the living planet over which humanity has dominion. Our voice must be heard demanding and creating the right conditions. But above and between the voices, the word of the soul and the sound of spiritual energies lie interludes of silence. They contain the seeds of creativity, the potential for renewal, awaiting distribution into expectant minds and hearts. So perhaps we can conclude that rather than a lack of activity, occult silence is an intensification of the will in preparation to create with sound. The attention is moved away from lower distractions and focused in the soul in order to carry a spiritual charge deep into the heart of manifestation to implement some aspect of the divine plan. And when silence is cultivated in the three lower bodies, and when not only is the tongue silent and the ears open, but the desire nature quiet and the mind still, when one is constantly living in a field of potential energy. And it's an energy that can be used in general service but more specifically to alleviate suffering in others
by awakening and lifting them to a glimmer of heart consciousness where the solution to their problems lie. It may involve vibration through the spoken word or through silent communication, heart to heart. The point is that the whole life is dedicated to the right use of creativity through sound and silence is a preparation for working with this creative power. So we'll go into meditation now. Um, we have the meditation outline on a green sheet. This is one specifically for the three spiritual festivals and it's got the three keynotes on it. And we'll say out loud together the stage of group fusion, the mantra of the lower interlude and the great invocation at the end. And I'll go through all the phases and all the words <coughs> so that you needn't refer to your outline if you don't want to. Letting in the light. Group fusion. We affirm the fact of group fusion and integration within the heart center of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity. I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Alignment. We project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy of the planet, the planetary heart and the great ashram of Sanakamara, and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy.
extend the line of light toward Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known. Higher interlude. We hold the contemplative mind open to the extraplanetary energies streaming into Shambhala, radiated through hierarchy, using the creative imagination. Endeavor to see the three planetary centers Shambhala, hierarchy, humanity, gradually coming into alignment and interplay.
meditation. We'll reflect on the seed thought. I come forth and from the plane of mind I rule.
precipitation <clears throat> using the creative imagination we visualize the energies of light and love and the will to good pouring throughout the planet becoming anchored on earth in prepared physical plan centers through which the plan can manifest we use the sixfold progression of divine love as a sequence of energy precipitation shambhala hierarchy the christ the group of world servers men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world and physical centers of distribution lower interlude we refocus the consciousness as a group within the periphery of the great ashram and together we sound the affirmation in the center of all love i stand from that center I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. We visualize the downpouring spiritual inflow released from Shambhala through hierarchy and streaming into humanity through the prepared channel. Consider how these inpouring energies are establishing the pathway of light for the coming world teacher, the Christ.
distribution. As the great invocation is sounded, we visualize the outpouring of light and love and power from the hierarchy through the five planetary inlets, London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo, irradiating the consciousness of the whole human race. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of life within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the centre which we call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. <coughs>
Thank you, everyone. It's a, a beautiful meditation. Reminds me of what the Tibetans said about the silence that sounds. It was so silent. It was lovely. Thank you. So the time of the full moon is tomorrow at 13.36 in the afternoon, 1.36 p.m. So if you can link up at that time. And um, what's our next meeting? We have a new moon meeting on Monday the 16th at 5.30 here in the library. And of course the next full moon meeting is the WESAC meeting on Sunday the 29th of April. And that'll be here again in the library at 3 o'clock. In fact, all of the three spiritual festivals this year are at 3 in the afternoon, strangely. So we hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Let's hope the sun comes out at some point this weekend. Safe journey home.